Wow, can you show your appreciation for our worship team this evening? It's, it's so great. It's such a, a special thing to be able to gather for worship on New Year's Day. I mean, I love it. And uh, I just am so glad to be here, and I'm so glad you've taken time to join us this evening. Uh, I want to say thanks to our folks from Pillar DC who came down to worship with us today. Thank you all for joining us. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, our third through fifth grade. You all can be dismissed if you haven't been already. Uh, but take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 12 through 16. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. We're not going to spend a lot of time in the Word tonight, but we do want to take some time to just slow down and hear from the Lord. Philippians 3, verse 12 through 16, it says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the insight that it gives us. And here today, as we stand at the beginning of a new year, we ask that you would take these truths from your word and you would shape our vision for 2023. Lord, I pray that you would give us fresh devotion and energy and endurance in the things that we need to persevere in. Lord, I pray that you would give us fresh hope in the places where we've lost hope. Lord, I pray that you would give us a sense of fresh forgiveness where we've fallen short. And Lord, I pray that you would allow us to glimpse in a fresh way the promise of your gospel that tells us that there will be a new day. Lord, that there's coming a time that's better than a New Year's Day where we'll experience the freedom of being fully redeemed risen with your son in the new heavens and the new earth and lord until the trumpet blows on that day we ask that you would help us to endure and be faithful and filled with hope and joy and strength and persevere in righteousness so that you will be glorified in our bodies in jesus name amen well, New Year's is a time of examination of our lives and fresh devotion. 
You know, I, I, it's very likely that some of you have grown cynical over the years. You get to New Year's Day and you think, you know, it really just looks like turning the calendar over again. What's different than yesterday? And in some sense, you would be right. There's nothing different really than yesterday. And then there's those of you who woke up this morning and you got out your journals and you were finally refreshed to start making those New Year's goals. Anybody do that today? Y'all are a cynical bunch of people. Maybe you're like, just thought, I'm going to wait to the message, then I can go home and get it, get it right. But no matter how much fun you make of it, no, how many, no matter how many fresh takes you hear about the goodness or evil of resolutions, people are going to make them. Some of you will. People are going to fail to keep them quite the way they intended to keep them, right? And people are going to accomplish some of them. We are here today, though, as a people who are celebrating a new year, and I want you to hear from me that there is a biblical rationale for examining our lives at the end of a year and the beginning of the next, and in seeking the Lord for a fresh sense of devotion as part of our New Year's celebration. You know, Genesis chapter 1, verse 14 through 19, it shows us that God purposed the rhythms and seasons of life that we're observing here today. It says in verse 14, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. So each day God's mercies are new for us. And we know that because God set night apart from daytime. And so you know when you get fresh mercies. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the rotation of the earth and its revolution around the sun and intended it all to create the rhythms and seasons of life. That means that today is a rhythm intended for such things as fresh starts and renewal, and it was purposed by him. You know, in the Old Testament, the people of Israel celebrated two types of New Year's celebrations at least. Exodus 12 highlights the beginning of a sort of spiritual year that corresponds with coming out of slavery in Egypt. And they were to mark it each year as a new beginning. It was marked by examination and purification in preparation for living in freedom separated from their past life in slavery. Then there's Rosh Hashanah, preceding the Day of Atonement. It was like a New Year's celebration as well in the sort of spiritual calendar of the nation. And either way, the marking of time and cycles of renewal and examination and devotion, they're part of a God-ordained existence. And I want to help you embrace putting your life before God here in the early days of the year and asking what He desires to make out of your life in this coming year. Few passages help us in that so well as the one that we read a few moments ago in Philippians chapter 3. Ultimately, our pursuit in the new year is really about us becoming a spiritually mature people. Becoming a spiritually mature people. 
Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16, show us two things about becoming a spiritually mature people that I think are really important for us to recognize and to take into account this evening as we celebrate this new year. And I want you to see them. And so here in Philippians 3, 12 through 16, we have insight into what it's going to take for us to make progress in spiritual maturity. You know, because resolutions really are about progress, aren't they? consecration, goals, they're all about progress. But one of the things we have to do is examine what direction we're making progress in. Because, you know, you can make a lot of progress this year with a lot of resolutions and be no closer to the goal that Paul is talking about. You can meet all the things that you've set out to do and be no spirit, more spiritually mature at the end. But here, he gives us insight to what it's really like to become a, a spiritually mature people and make progress in spiritual maturity. And I want to show you these two insights. First, he shows us the gospel basis for progressing in spiritual maturity. The gospel basis, we see this in verses 12 through 13. When we look at the text, we discover that there's a way to look at pressing on towards maturity from a gospel perspective, and there's ways to do it that are not really connected to what God has called us to. If we're going to talk about progress, we have to have a vision for what it looks like in our lives in the here and now to grow in spiritual maturity. Otherwise, we could use all of our effort to make progress in the wrong ways or be frustrated that our progress toward our goals doesn't make us any more mature spiritually this year than we were last. Let's look in the text. Notice that Paul has a sort of progress in mind. And he shows us here that he has this, as he mentions things, you know, you feel like in verse 12 we were jumping into the middle of a conversation because we were. Notice what he has in mind. He says, not that I've already obtained this, verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this. What is the this that he is talking about? That's an important question, isn't it? What is it that Paul is saying he hasn't attained he says, he, I press on to make it my own. You see how he's referring to something that he's already talked about? What is the it that Paul wants to possess? He then goes on to say, I do not consider that I've made it my own. Again, what is Paul referring to? Well, the answer is in the preceding verses that we didn't read when he describes the height of spiritual maturity in a fallen world. You see, Paul wants to help us grapple with and understand what spiritual maturity looks like in the real world that we live in, not the ideal one we'd like to live in. Because my guess is that many of our New Year's resolutions will die on the cutting floor of reality this year I mean did you ever make a new year's resolution and you get part way through the week and you're like I didn't see that coming you you decided I'm gonna exercise every day of 2023 and you got sick on the third day you couldn't even get yourself out of bed you know, it's just kind of not realistic to think that you're not going to get sick at some point in 2023 and you're going to exercise every day. 
See, many of the things that we do, the goals that we set, don't take into account what challenges you might face this year. I hate to say it, but some of us are going to face challenges this year that we didn't anticipate. We've never been prepared to overcome. And what will we do with our resolutions then? What if God has something different for us? How will we prepare ourselves for that moment? The one of living in a fallen world where we won't always be treated the way we'd hope to be treated. We won't always be able to control the circumstances the way we wanted to. There are unexpected challenges. Well, Paul, he shows us here what the height of spiritual maturity is that we're to progress toward. Plainly, he says in verse 11 and 12, that it's no, 10 and 11, that it's knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection, sharing in his sufferings and becoming like him and help you know Christ, the power of his resurrection, what it's like to share in his sufferings and have the sort of attitude that he had even in his death. That's spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is facing your life this year with this kind of perspective. The this that he, he hasn't yet attained, the it that he is striving toward is a dominant spiritual focus informed by the gospel of Jesus and shaped by his life, death, and resurrection. You see, this is what we really need. We need a dominant spiritual focus that overcomes everything else in our life that is informed by the gospel of Jesus. I mean, listen, what would that look like? Maybe you'll see it up on your screen. But what that would look like is, is we begin to think this way. Jesus rose from the dead, so the losses I may experience this year to evil, corruption, and death are not final. I mean, that would get us ready. Jesus rose from the dead, so the losses I may experience this year to evil and corruption and death, they're not final. Jesus suffered while doing good. So my suffering while doing good gives me the opportunity to know him more deeply. That, that in some manner, the ways in which we suffer in a fallen world are invitations into walking with Jesus. Invitations into fellowship with him. I mean, when you got up and you made your resolutions, did you anticipate suffering? Did you think, what would it be like for me to be ready to walk, to see the invitation to know Jesus in my suffering? Jesus died as an act of humble love. And he lived for the most enduring things, so I want to be like him. I want to devote myself to that. Humble love towards those around me. Jesus died in the act of it. Jesus died doing that because Jesus believed as the most brilliant human that ever walked on the earth that this was the best route for his life. 
That this would accomplish the most eternal good and he devoted himself to it. That means that some of us, the, the way that we will experience real spiritual maturity is devoting ourselves to humble love even if it's not received in our life. And we will learn to be like Jesus in his death in that we will endure and be faithful even when we aren't sure what the fruit is going to look like. Whether the fruit's going to come. Whether we'll die under the weight of that cross. You see, this is maturity. To be able to face life with this sort of perspective. It's about knowing Jesus in my losses, my suffering, and my efforts to love. But more often, I'm trying to manage all these sorts of experiences with a different goal than knowing Him. I'm trying to manage my life with an entirely different goal than the one Paul says brings me on to spiritual maturity. And I think you'll find that that's going to be futile in your life. So, that means that one of the ways that we can assess our spiritual maturity in some manner is by asking three really important questions as we look back and as we anticipate the coming year. The first one is, how do I face my losses? How do I face my losses? Second one is, how do I deal with suffering? And the third one is, how do I respond when my efforts to love are not received? When love doesn't seem to work? You see, these three questions can really help us get at what it looks like to be spiritually mature. When you understand the gospel, we can see in the text as we continue to explore it that we do not have, when you, when you understand the gospel, we know that we don't have a righteousness of our own, that we are welcomed into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, whose righteousness is, or, or right standing with God is imparted to us as a gift. You see, the gospel of Jesus says that our relationship to God has been imparted to us as a gift where we have a right standing with him through faith in Jesus Christ whose death on the cross paid for our sin and his righteousness in life is credited to us and so we are fully welcomed, accepted into the belonging of the family of God on the basis of Jesus and him alone. And that means here at the beginning of the year, whatever your performance was last year, that you can know that God welcomes you into his family, that you belong to him. You haven't lost him this year because of some poor performance in the past, but simply through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, you are in right relationship with God. Some of you are not living right now with that sense of confidence that God receives you, that there's a sense of belonging to Him. And because of that, you're not ready to make the kind of progress towards spiritual maturity that is necessary because you don't really trust this gospel as, as well as you should. You see, when you see that, you're ready to make progress because it settles the fact that you belong to Christ already because Christ, Paul says, has made us his own. Then we can press on to make maturity our own. Here, here's a good way to think about it. Did you see that in, in, in the verses? Look at, look at verse 12. 
He says, I haven't already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, this, this sense of maturity. Why? Because Christ has made me his own. You see, all of our effort isn't about trying to get ourselves on the inside of belonging to God. You see, it happens because we securely belong to God in Christ, regardless of our past performance. That right now, by faith and faith alone, you can be fully forgiven. Know that you're walking in absolute freedom of belonging to God, free from your guilt, free from your shame, forgiven from it. Now, you may not feel free from it. And that's a whole thing we gotta learn, right? You gotta imagine when Israel came up out of Egypt, they were freed from slavery. And God got them out of Egypt, but it took a long time to get Egypt out of them. Right? And so, so for some of us, we need to hear the gospel and believe it. We need, to, we need to know that we're forgiven through Christ. We belong to him. We're welcomed because Jesus' death paid for our sins. Jesus has done everything, and now we belong to him. He's made us his own. And so now we press forward to make maturity our own, to, to sort of to, to bring into reality what he's already declared over us. So this is important. Notice Paul's realism and honesty because of it. I haven't already obtained it. I do not consider that I've made it my own. Paul has an incredible, healthy honesty about himself and where he's at. In our house, Annie and I have been talking a lot about finding ourselves on the map. And sometimes when it comes to maturity, we've got to find ourselves on the map and we've got to be willing to recognize where we're really at. Here, Paul is just saying, I'm not as far along as I'd like to be. I'm not as far along as sometimes I present myself to be. I haven't obtained this thing we're talking about. You see, that's a, that's a kind of honesty and realism that is required for maturity. You see, Paul knows what maturity looks like, and he knows where he is at. You see, this is required for maturity. You need to know what maturity looks like, and you need to come to an honest understanding of where you are at. It's real difficult to make progress if you don't know where you are. So do you really know what maturity looks like? Do you know where you're at? Now, the reason that Paul can have the sort of honesty about where he is at is because, as he says, it's already true, right where I am, that Christ has made me his own. You see, we only grow, and this is, this is what's so important for you to understand at the beginning of a year. We only grow and make progress towards maturity when we're able to look at our lives honestly in the safety of God's love. You don't make progress with really understanding who you are and where you're at until you are able to look at that in the safety of God's abounding love towards you. Then you'll be able to look with a kind of honesty that means that I don't have to present myself as better. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to clean myself and look up and look better than I am. I can be honest with where I'm at because God knows me already. 
and he's welcomed me in Christ. That's a powerful thing. Deep belief in God's love for you that is expressed in the gospel of Christ and is experienced as the sense of belonging to him is absolutely necessary for you to be able to see honestly where you are at in terms of spiritual maturity. John Calvin, in his second paragraph of the Institutes of Christian Religion, he says it this way. He says, It's evident that man never attains to a true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look unto himself. Until we've contemplated the face of God. The Apostle Paul says that in face of God is really seen for us in Jesus in his sacrificial love for us but until we've really embraced it and believed it at the depths of who we are we have trouble embracing and seeing ourselves for who we are so that we can begin to make real progress towards maturity you see we need to understand the gospel focus for progressing in maturity the second thing that this passage shows us is the single focus for progressing in maturity. The single focus for progressing in maturity. Notice then once we get to verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider I've made it my own, but one thing I do. There's one thing. Paul has a real clear sense of what it's like to look forward, what he's doing. He says, one thing I do. So there's this practical wisdom here in verse 14 that on the basis of the gospel invites us to fresh devotion so that we can progress towards maturity this year. And it's wrapped up in this, uh, this unfolding for him of this one thing that Paul does. And so I, I've always you know, gone by the, the thing like if it's good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. And so when he says this one thing I do, I'm like, I want to do this one thing. Like, if it got Paul ready for what Paul was called to, I'm sure it'll do for me. And so he says, he, he phrases that one thing like this. He says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see, this maturity of knowing him and being like him is the high calling that he's mentioning here, the one that we've just talked about, that knowing Christ and knowing him in his suffering and knowing him in the power of his death and resurrection is the most important thing for our spiritual maturity. And so he says this is the high calling, walking towards this, living this out. So because of that, we know what that is, what he's talking about with the high calling. So let's focus on the first section where we see the one single focus he expresses in two cooperating ideas. He calls it a forgetting what lies behind and a straining forward to what lies ahead. So to do so, let's answer what does it mean to forget what's behind? And what does it mean to strain forward? We'll take them in turn. First, first, what does forgetting what is behind mean? Certainly, I think it's, it's safe to say that it doesn't mean that we ignore our past decisions, the realities of them, the consequences of them. 
and kind of ignore them so that we can't ever understand how we got to where we are in the present. He's not telling us to do that with them. But there is a kind of remembering that keeps us in shackles, isn't there? There's a difference between having an honest look back and learning and discovering how the decisions that we made in the past have shaped who we are now, how the things that have happened to us in the past have shaped who we are now, how we got to this place that we're at. And wisdom tells us that we should understand some of those things well. But there's a kind of holding on to that past that can really shackle us for the present and the future. And Paul is concerned to teach us what it looks like to forget in the right ways what is behind. So what does forgetting what is behind mean? Well, in the context, it means some things Paul has already talked about. In verses 4 through 6 of chapter 3, he's talking about past ways. He thought of his own value, his identity, his own accomplishments, and his failures. You see, Paul had these things that gave him confidence in himself. In the flesh. They made him feel like he was accomplished. They made him feel like he was powerful. They made him feel like he was right. They were a sort of identity or a way of looking at himself. For Paul, he he talks about them then in verses 4 through 6 of this chapter we just read. He had been born into God's old covenant people. It was a source of pride. On top of that, he was from a respected tribe. He describes himself then as a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning he really took his culture and his values serious where others maybe didn't. He then mentions that he was meticulous in keeping God's law as a Pharisee would have been. So he has religious and moral accomplishments on his resume. He persecuted the church. So he was obviously very zealous and devoted to the old way, even to a fault. He doesn't lack the sort of passion and devotion it takes to press toward a goal. When it came to righteousness, he had no reason to feel guilty based on his own understanding. He considered himself blameless. Paul realizes, though, that this was all a false way of seeing himself. That it benefited him to see himself that way rather than to see himself as needy before God, a sinner in need of God's grace. You see, he liked being able to control and accomplish things on his own. To be able to affirm himself. He liked all of that, but he didn't like the message of the cross that said that even in all of his performance, he had fallen short. So Paul realizes that this was all a false way of seeing himself that separated him from real spiritual maturity and knowing Christ. So he says that one of the things we need to do is we need to learn to forget some things. There are a lot of people who live on their past ways of dealing with life. There are a lot of us, we live with a sort of past sense of practice of how we got to where we are in this moment we form identities around that it's sort of like our personal brand right you know i'm tough don't cross me right what is that well that's the way i like to see myself you know there there's all of us have this image that we've created from some of our past good decisions and ignoring some of our bad ones (laughs) Or we say, this is who I am. 
This is what really matters. This is what I want people to see. And man, I'm going to keep making sure I curate that. And if they're going to see something else, I want to hide that. And we've got all these kind of false ways of living our life and presenting ourselves to preserve this picture of who we really want to be. And God has a way of picking through all of that to expose how foolish that is. Truthfully, if we are going to mature, we need to put some things to rest and disconnect ourselves from ways we look at ourselves and our lives that will not help us go forward to spiritual maturity. And so maybe today, one of the things you need to do is take some of those things that you thought were so important to your life, you need to finally just set them to the side and say, that's not me anymore. I don't have to become that. I don't have to play that game. I don't have to pretend I'm just going to, I'm going to forget about trying to prove to everybody I was this other thing. And I'm going to let God do a fresh work in me. So, so here for Paul, forgetting what is behind means a few things. Let me just try to say a few of them. Forgetting what is behind means not letting your past aspirations dominate your future efforts. Some of the things you wanted out of life need to die so that you can pursue knowing Christ. You see, some of you had dreams in the past. You thought they were mature aspirations. You said you wanted to go for these things, and you're constantly determining whether you've been successful in life, whether you lived up to an aspiration you made when you were 18 or 20 or 24, and they were aspirations that need to die so that the the real maturity could come to life. Because God's been trying to do a whole different thing in your life and you're fighting it because of some past aspiration that you really cared about. And you need to forget about that. Not letting your past aspirations dominate this year's future efforts. Another thing forgetting what behind means is not letting your past failures rob your present opportunity to grow. You see, we all experience failures and weakness. It is not that they don't matter. They do. But in Christ, our future is not chained to our past failures. You've got a reason you're not going to try again this year. You may not put words to it. Because you tried something last year and it didn't work out. And here at the beginning of a new year, God says, what are you doing? Let's forget about that. Let's look to the high calling with fresh effort, fresh devotion, learning something new with a new humility that maybe you didn't have last year when you thought you could do it on your own. You see, forgetting what behind means not letting your past failures rob your present opportunity to grow. Forgetting What is behind means not letting your past view of something keep you from hearing God's word clearly. Sometimes it's best to admit that we spent long periods of our lives being wrong about important things. I mean, there are some some of us are caught in our own ideologies. We've been living in them for so long, fed from who knows where. And we've been fighting to show that we're right all along, but, but we've got this sneaking suspicion that we're wrong. We just are too prideful to admit it now. I've always been that person. And now here I am, and I realize maybe God's word says something totally different. 
And see, I want to be a person who, like maturity means, I'm, I don't believe some of the same things I believed 10 years ago. That God's word is spoken, and my broken ways of thinking, my broken ways of living have been clarified by the light of God's word and the kindness of the Holy Spirit, so I can see that I've been wrong. Forgetting what's behind means not letting your past view of something keep you from hearing God's word clearly. Forgetting what is behind means not letting your past successes keep you from seeing your need for more progress. You know, it's common to validate where we are because of some great thing that we feel was a remarkable accomplishment of our past. And you might be living on the fumes of some past accomplishment, and so you don't have much drive or energy to make progress in maturity because you think you're pretty far ahead of everyone else. You know, this is kind of the tortoise and the hare thing, right? You know, we, we, were, we had a season of being really devoted to Christ, and I made some progress, and, and I did some things for the Lord, and now it's time for me just to let somebody else do it. Those things I long to do to honor Christ, you know, I've, I've done my, my round. Forgetting what is behind me is not letting your past successes keep you from seeing your need for more progress. Lastly, it means not letting your visions of who you wanted to be rob you of a fresh pursuit in the present. Some dreams in all of our lives will die and we will have to learn to reckon with the broken pieces and press on towards maturity. There are some things that you wanted to be true about your life that are not true today. And listen, that can be hard. It can be hard to just look at that and say, that didn't happen. It's not what I wanted. But this is where I'm at. And today, Lord, the best I know how, from right where you found me, I want to devote myself to pressing toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. From right here, in the middle of the broken pieces. There are always ongoing consequences and realities that we'll have to acknowledge, embrace, and deal with from the past. But they do not have to rob us of pressing toward the mark to maturity. And many times they are the invitations from God to do so with new wisdom. So what do you need to forget as you approach 2023? Because then he says there's a second thing that we need to do. There's some things we need to forget and there's some straining we need to do forward. So let's look at what it means to strain forward. Here's where Paul, what Paul has in mind. The word used here for strain means to stretch oneself out. To stretch oneself out. You see, real spiritual maturity requires us stretching ourselves out in the callings that God has given us. One of my favorite quotes that I've gotten from Joe Craft is that there's no comfort in the growth zone. And there's no growth in the comfort zone. And you can take that one to the bank. It's what Paul is saying right here. There's no comfort in the growth zone and there's no growth in the comfort zone. You see, part of how, we're, how we grow is by being stretched. And Paul is saying that there's ways that we can choose to stretch ourselves. Now, I'm telling you, circumstances in life are going to stretch you on their own. But when you are training and straining, you are ready to stretch out towards the mark of what God is calling you to. 
If you are, if you are working to grasp on to a gospel-hearted, gospel-centered perspective, then you're also being trained for the moment where, where to be able to remain faithful, to endure, to continue making progress in maturity is going to take a real stretch. But you're ready to stretch because you've been practicing stretching as a part of your regular spiritual exercises. Now, most of y'all know, if you know me well, I complain about being, not being very flexible. But, um, you know, I, I literally can't, I can't touch my, the lower part of my knees, let alone my toes. And, it, you know, you guys are going to give me advice. Like, this is it. This is all I got. And I'm not even kidding. It's been that way since I was like five. I call it a mild disability. It's just a joke. Please don't write me an angry email. Either my arms are short or my legs are long or I don't know. And there are some things, like when I bring it up, people are like, you should start a stretching routine. And I'm just like, when you're bad at something, you just don't do it, right? Like, I'm not starting a stretching routine just to get to, like, the top of my shins. You know, I'm 43. I'm not getting more flexible. It's all drying up, you know. I'm just going to walk straight up the rest of my life. It's about accepting where you're at. But see, what Paul is actually saying here is the gospel does something different in us. It actually prepares us to stretch towards what God has called us to. You see, as we strain toward it, God is using the things that we set our hearts to do to to, to train ourselves in godliness. He uses those moments to prepare us for what we need. Back in the year 2007, uh, I decided to read 12 Puritan paperbacks in like the first three months of the year. Now, these were just some books that some, I, I, when, remember when, remember blogs? Do you guys remember that? That was a thing like maybe 10 years ago. Uh, you know, there was this guy who was writing blogs. Oh, you know, I continued to actually read more of them through 2007, 2008, 2009. And, and I really grew theologically to appreciate and trust that no matter what was going on, no matter what circumstances that we face, that, that God is inviting us to draw near to him and experiencing him in every circumstance. And in 2010, our daughter was diagnosed with a complex congenital heart defect, and, and I had this sense that the Lord had been preparing me theologically, been preparing me devotionally in what I was training my mind and heart in for that particular moment in my life. And I remember so many times just being settled by the things that I'd read in that, those books to trust that this wasn't some sort of mistake that was going on in my life. This wasn't some sort of thing that came out of nowhere or surprised God. That God had arranged these circumstances, invited me into it, and was trusting me with a stewardship. I had a calling in this to acknowledge that God was inviting me to grow in spiritual maturity and to answer that calling to care for my family through the midst of a difficult, difficult season and it was it was hard it it stretched me more than any other season of my life it was difficult it required faith and I can now like when I look back on it I think about how the the exercises of stretching myself in that training prepared me to stretch when I really needed to and see God 
invites us to this kind of training and he invites us to make plans to stretch and to grow and strain towards that that sense of high calling we have so that he can use it to prepare us for the moments that he's calling us into. He brings those two things together, the designs and purposes we have and the circumstances he knows are coming and he invites us to stretch ourselves towards the goal. Real spiritual maturity requires this kind of stretching. We can stretch ourselves intellectually by reading and studying. We can stretch ourselves relationally by rejecting old patterns in dealing with persistent problems in our life. We can stretch ourselves physically by creating new goals for our physical health and exercise. We can stretch ourselves missionally by attempting things that require the Spirit of God to show up in our lives to fulfill them. We can stretch ourselves out vocationally by learning to serve those we work with in new ways or develop new skills in life that will better serve the world around us. We can stretch ourselves in a thousand ways, but it is our responsibility to take our honest assessment of our lives and determine how to stretch ourselves this year for the high calling of God in Christ. Our whole life being developed to serve Christ and live in faithfulness to him. And the question is, what are you going to do this year that will stretch you towards genuine spiritual maturity? And I want you to spend time really thinking about that. Just bringing some things in your life before God. And saying, God, I want to strain and stretch towards the mark of what you called me to this year. I ask you to bow your heads with me. Lord, We thank you for this opportunity and this moment. Lord, we pray that you would do for us what David asked and search us and know us. Lord, you would surround us with a sense of the safety of your love. Invite us into honest examination. And Lord, that you would stir in us a fresh sense of devotion, of consecration, Lord, that we would be faithful as we wait for that glorious day when we don't just celebrate a new year, but we celebrate genuine new life and eternity. So Lord, we we know that that day is promised to us and is certain. And so Lord, between now and then, we ask that you would help us stretch into the maturity of that perspective. Lord, that we would grasp, Lord, the eternal truth of the resurrection of Christ that would give us hope and the encouragement to make new plans and to pursue new things that would honor you in this year. Lord, we want, we want to know you. Lord, we haven't come here on this first day of the year to go through a religious ritual Lord, we want to know you. We want to experience a fresh sense of your presence in our life, of discovering the riches of your grace, of knowing the security of the gospel, of what it takes to part from sin, to suffer while doing good. We want to know 
what it's like to possess that spiritual maturity that even took Jesus to a cross to offer his life on our behalf. So Lord, we come with our lives open before you. We ask that you would do that. In Jesus' name.